Возлюбленная Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение пред Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к предверию нашей надежды, да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоним наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которое очертила десница Твоя для поклонения Святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови завета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество – все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег могущества Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего, пропитай нас Духом Твоим святым, позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки, веди его рукою превознесенную, великий Бог, Отец, Сын, Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь, можете садиться.
стихи 8-16. И было к нему слово Господне. Речь идет об Илье. First Kings chapter 17 verses 8-16. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this is talking about the prophet Elijah, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. When he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, as the Lord God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. This was great. There was great hunger on the earth. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear, go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first, and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day of the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of jar, and she and her household ate for many days. The bit of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Third Kings, or First Kings, chapter 17. And so the image of the widow is the image of the woman who, with the law, died to the law. She had gathered wood at the gates of the city, gathering sticks. This means something. Because the gates of our city, we know, are our lips, the proclamations of the faith of our of our heart, of our lips. And she had gathered sticks in order to bake that small amount of flour 
And the head flora, handful of flower in a bin is the image of the Son of Life and the subject of the teaching of Christ, which is found in our heart. The oil in the jar symbolizes the anointing power of the Holy Spirit, bringing to action the truth of the Word of Life in our heart. Our relationship towards the collaboration of these two heavenly instances completely depends on the state of our soul toward uh, reading sin in the face of the old man. The fact that she was a widow means that she had died to her old nature or her husband or her husband had died to her. And therefore, in order to receive anointing from poverty and illnesses, there was hunger at that time and people had perished. It was necessary to receive freedom from the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and thus to be clothed in the dignity of a widow. Only the dignity of a widow will allow Jesus to live in her heart the life of his word, anointed by the Holy Spirit or the life of his resurrection and to be clothed in the dignity of the widow and live the life of resurrection it's necessary to die to oneself only the smell of our old flesh dependent on our money our dependent on money is called to unleash the power we, as the widow from Sidon, the only method of keeping ourselves from slavery into the flesh, illness, and bankruptcy is to give into the treasury of God, which is His church, that was in the control of Elijah. Anointing is power. Therefore, it's necessary to stop thinking that the fact that uh, this anointing expressed in our authority over money could give us or give for us but we must transform our thinking to what it could do through us for God. This kind of position is walking in anointing that leads us away from ourselves on the path of ministry to God and the face of ministry to saints. The Holy Spirit in His anointing acts in us through our obedience to the Word of God. When we, like the widow, begin to pass along this anointing in the vessels of our neighbors that are in the curse of money, which is the root of all evil, our own anointing multiplies, just as was done with another widow. When there was a prophet Elisha, she had come and said to the prophet that she is in debt and the landowner had come and who had and he wanted her only son for her debt. He said, what do you have? She said, I have oil in my jar. He says, go and ask all of the neighbors for empty jars. Gather them and then take from this jar, pour it full and then sell it. And for this money you will pay the debt and you will pay off your son. She went and had done so. She had gathered jars. She and her son had helped give her the empty jars that she was then filling, filling them up. She said, give me another one. 
And he said, there's no more, and the oil ran, ran out. She had sold it, she had paid the debt, and she had sold herself out of slavery and her son as well. We know that our son is... The male gender, we know, is the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ. This is the fruit, the promise. Satan wants to swallow it up. Yes, we have accepted the adoption of our bodies in our heart, the faith of our heart, but now we must hold on to it. And holding on to it is expressed in us honoring God in tithes and offerings, as well as serving one another, each one with the gift that he has received through the grace of God. This kind of service or ministry is not just a testimony, but it is the light of Christ. It is life according to the principles of truth that keep our anointing expressed in authority over money, even when the economic systems of the world are are unknown. The majority of Christians suffer not because they don't have money, but because they are dependent on it, and they have stopped giving God what is God's at the correct place and the correct measure at the right time and in the correct state of the spirit. This isn't a kind of manipulation, but this is the principle of truth that unleashes authority over money. Authority over money is the root of all good. The rule of money over us is the root of all evil. And therefore, unleashing or releasing our body from slavery to illnesses and premature death is honoring God, tithes and offerings according to His words, to search for His faith and to allow God to decide how much He gives us and how He gives it to us, and to rejoice in what we have, knowing that all of this will soon end and burn, nothing will remain of this, but only that which we have given to God will, will move on to heaven, on the new heaven and new earth, on the account in our bank. God had revealed and had opened account for each of us and he takes a look closely at how our account is growing because our eternity will depend on that sum of that money that we have transferred there. As strange as it may sound, but we are going to live for this amount. How God will multiply it, how it's going, how it's going to be eternal, this is known only to God alone right now. We believe in this. We rejoice in this, that we have this privilege. Let us stand. We will honor God with tithes and offerings. We will honor Him, express our love toward Him, and acknowledge His authority over us, and let us sing together. The new dawn, the new dawn will occur in our body, among his people, among the chosen remnants. God is going to laugh at those who had laughed at us, and we are going to rejoice in this time. And we right now rejoice because that promise that we have accepted 
does not cease, and therefore let us sing the song regarding the new dawn. Soon will be the new dawn of a new day. Spring comes, we will see him just as he is. Yes, he will greet us. He will come in glory. I wait for him. I wait, Lord, your, for your coming. Come, we are your nation and behind us we have left and walk forward on the clouds you will greet us with you we will enter heaven and find rest you will open the door to us as though we are home we will return to the house of our father we will glorify our Lord in our hearts we will sing a new song with him in heaven we will rejoice for the day of salvation with a new song in our hearts oh come we are your nation and behind us we have left everything and before us on the clouds you will greet us with you we will enter into heaven and find rest you will re open your doors to us as though we are home we will return to the house of our father Soon will be the new dawn of a new day. Spring comes. We will see him just as he is. Yes, he will greet us. Come in glory. We wait for you. We wait, O Lord, for your coming. O come. We are your people and behind us, we have left all and before us. You come in clouds and will greet us. With you, we will enter heaven and find rest. You will open your doors as though we are home. We return to the house of our Father. Oh come, we are your people and behind us, we have left all and before us on the clouds you will greet us with you we will enter to heaven and enter rest you will open your door as though we are home and we will return to the house of our father oh come
And so I would gladly remind you that each time Israel had honored God with tithes and offerings, either in the tabernacle of Moses or the temple of Solomon, he was called to, according to the words of Moses, which he had received as a revelation from God, to raise hands over their offerings and to proclaim one proclamation that they were faithful to for thousands of years. We, being that same Israel, tied to that same root, drinking from the fruit of the same tree, will do the same thing. Please raise your right hands as a symbol of your righteous act over your offerings and pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I have separated the tithes from my home and brought them into your home so that your home may have food. I did not give imperially. I did not give in sorrow. I did not give for the dead. I rejoice that I have the privilege to express my love and to acknowledge your authority. And according to your word, I ask you right now May your heavenly windows be opened and may your blessings come down abundantly upon your redeemed nation. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated.
And so those who have a Bible, you can open along with me a familiar place of scripture to us, familiar as a citation, but always in it is contained a great mystery 
man likely isn't unable to comprehend during the duration of his life, most men. Jeremiah 6, 16, that says the Lord, stand in the ways and see, and ask for the ancient paths, where the good ways, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, return to the ancient path of goodness. Allow me to give you one example in relation to fish. Certain species of fish that live and dwell in the seas and oceans, when it comes time to spawn, go to spawn at the mouths of rivers. Having been freed from eggs, the fish returns to the ocean. The remaining eggs remain in the rivers until a certain time. Then the time comes to return to the ocean. But these fry, which have grown in the rivers, not only have never been in the ocean, but have not even seen it. How can they then find their way home? The whole secret of the path is contained in the call of the seed from which they were born in the rivers. They were born in the rivers, but the seed was taken from the ocean, and when they follow the call of the seed, it shows them the path along which they should make their way home. Therefore, the path along which the grown fry are called upon to go home existed long before their appearance. Because of this, the path to the ocean for the fish born in the mouths of rivers, for them, is the ancient path of goodness. Where then are we born? We, like fish, are born in the mouths of rivers, and only then do we strive into the ocean. But, and, but someone from this ocean had come and had given birth to us there in the, in the mouths of the river. The image of any sacrifice offered to God is the image of the Son of God who came to this earth from heaven, took the flesh of man to redeem him from sin and give him the opportunity to return home where he previously lived in the depths of God in the seed of his Son. Just as he chose us in him for the foundation of the world, that we should also be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Ephesians 1.45 Pay attention here. We cannot define this, that from eternity, here in the flesh, somewhere in the mouths of the rivers, the teaching of this great measure that he had brought. And no one born of God has ever been in the heavens where God dwells and never seen this heaven. However, when we reach a certain age, we begin to, and I mean a spiritual age, we begin to realize that we need to return home to our Heavenly Father. And if we do not do this, then our lamp will be moved from its place. Remember where you came from. To look at the foundation of our study of the ancient path of goodness, we turn to the words of Apostle Paul, who by the mercy and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in short and concise definitions, was able to formulate the contents of the order present in the teaching of Christ. In studying this place of scripture, we decided to use a more perfect and closer to the truth version of this translation. 
Therefore, sprinkling, sprinkling ourselves with the reigning teachings of Christ and having been clothed in the armor of light contained in the reign of this teaching, let us go on to perfection and build ourselves into the house of God, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and a faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. The four commanding teachings of Christ, as we know, are given authority over the spiritual dimensions of the north, south, east, and west. Like in this world, in the earthly dimension, there is north, east, east south, and west. And if you look, there are no limits where one side goes and the limits where the other one. There is something that unites all of them. And we're talking about how this teaching in the spiritual dimension grasps the dimensions of north, south, east, and west. These four reigning teachings is an image of the four armies of Israel in the wilderness which surround the tabernacle of testimony. Each army contained three tracks. The army standing facing north under the banner of the calf is the sacrificial animal representing the image of the doctrine of baptisms, the army facing the south under the banner of man, our sovereign relation with God in the image of the doctrine of laying on of hands, the army facing the west under the banner of the soaring eagle is the principle of renewal in the image of the doctrine of resurrection. The army facing east under the banner of the lion is an expression of the will of God in the image of the doctrine of eternal judgment. This is also the image of the four rivers flowing from Eden to irrigate the garden, the very place where they were called to develop a relationship not overshadowed by sin between God and man in the heart. Each of the four teachings possesses in itself a duplicity of various functions that determine the unearthly order of the kingdom of heaven and determine in their totality the role of the twelve teachings of Christ who came in the flesh. The number 12 is an image and a standard of 12 hours in a day, determining the order of the kingdom of heaven in the armor of light. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because light is not in him. John 11, 9-10 Priesthood expressed in worship is an altar made up of twelve stones. Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel should be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 31 through 32. Reigning of kings are the twelve gates of heavenly Jerusalem. Revelation 21, 12 through 13. Also, Jerusalem, she had a great high wall with twelve gates, and twelve angels at the gates, and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel, three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Victory over death in the image of the Jordan are twelve stones taken from the bottom of Jordan, and the other twelve stones laid near the Jordan where the, three, where the feet of the priests were. Jordan is an image of death. The twelve stones that were placed on the bottom of Jordan 
is victory over death, the reigning teaching of Christ. Joshua chapter 4, verses 8 through 9, And the children of Israel did so, just as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones from the midst of Jordan, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. Then Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there to this day. Demonstrating judgment is the dignity of the twelve thrones for the judgment of the twelve tribes of Israel. Matthew 19:28. So Jesus said to them, Assuredly I say to you, that in the regeneration when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Demonstrating the full measure of the stature of Christ and the twelve foundations of the walls of New Jerusalem. Revelation 21, 14. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. We know that in Scripture the image of a wall yielding a person is an image of this person achieving the fullness of Christ. Songs of Solomon 8.10 I am a wall in my breast like towers. Then I became in his eyes as one who found peace. In a certain format, as much as God and the level of our faith have allowed us, we have already studied the doctrine of baptisms and its three functions, baptism in the water, Holy Spirit, and fire, as well as the doctrine of laying on of hands in three functions, the covenant of blood, salt, and rest. We have stopped to study the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead, which in Scripture is presented in the dimension of the western side of heavenly Jerusalem in a combination of three gates. We have noted that the doctrine of resurrection of the dead is called or introduces a person to the family of God or makes him God's belonging. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him, who begot, also loves him who is begotten of him. Second, the doctrine of the resurrection of Christ resists second death in a person who has been born of God. There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ. 1 Peter 3.21 Third, the doctrine of the resurrection of Christ nurtures a person into a perfect man into the full measure of the stature of Christ. 1 Peter 2.2 As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. And again, we are born through resurrection and not death. Pure milk of the word growing a person in the salvation is the doctrine of the resurrection of Christ. Where there is no knowledge about the nature and powers the doctrine of resurrection, there cannot be the pure milk of the word. Fourth, the doctrine of the resurrection of Christ is the day of Christ or year of the redeemed, which although is found in time, is not bound to time, since it rules over time and dominates time. Isaiah 63, 4 For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. So they are already found in this resurrection. This doesn't mean that this is some separate day. This is already resurrection. This is already life. It is not ripped apart. It isn't one time a week. Resurrection is a state, not a specific individual day. Fifth, the doctrine of the resurrection of Christ, as we know, contains in itself three levels of births, which in their union are defined by Scripture as being born of God. 
This is birth from water, birth from spirit, and birth to the throne. All three levels of birth relate to our spirit. Each level of birth is preceded by cultivation. And when this process concludes, our spirit passes on from one state to another. This transformation is defined as birth. We can find this truth in a conversation between Christ and Nicodemus, a member of the centurion, one of the leaders of the Jews, who until a certain time was a secret disciple. Out of fear of the Jews, he came to Jesus at night. And we've already taken a look at this particular event. John 3, 3-5 Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time in his to his mother? womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. From the semantic meaning of this dialogue, it follows that the birth from the water and the Spirit opens the door to entry into the kingdom of heaven or the possibility to be born to the throne, which in practice means that those who have been born of water and Spirit can enter into the kingdom of heaven. Essentially, this passage of scripture means that in order to be a king and a priest of God, you must be born of a king and a priest. And as we know, among the people of Israel, it was possible to become kings and priests only one way. This was to be born into a royal family or into the royal, the royal family of a priest. The dignity of a king and priest is an inheritance that is passed along from fathers to children, which having reached a certain age could only be inherited by those people who came from the heritage of a king and priest. This is how Apostle Peter testifies to this. For you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 1 Peter 2, 9. Basically, the requirement to be born from water, spirit, and to the throne is a necessity and unchanging condition to making with God a covenant of blood, salt, and rest in the baptism in water, Holy Spirit, and fire. Because in order to make a covenant in baptism, it is necessary to be born. We do not baptize people who are not born, who are dead, who have not been born of God. And until a person is born from the Spirit, he cannot be led by the Holy Spirit. This need and these requirements and their logical completeness were called upon to build constantly new relationships of a new man with God, depending on the degree of dedication or on the level of a spiritual maturity in order to bring him to a complete likeness of the image of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, by virtue of which a man born of God from the family of opponents of God passed into the category of the family of God called to represent the perfection of his Heavenly Father and the dignity of his life. We have mentioned on numerous occasions that in order to step into a covenant with God, it was necessary to be born from the seed of the word of truth, because God enters into a covenant with only those people who have his heritage, because of which they have his genetic divine heritage. James 1.18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. 
And this birth from the seed of the priest's word of truth is defined by Scripture as resurrection from the dead. Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you life. Ephesians 5.14 Given that the ancient doctrine of goodness by its nature is not dilapidated and therefore forever new, we need to explore the sacrament contained in the process of the birth and emergence of the life of God in the spirit of man through the power of resurrection contained in the teachings of Christ. The doctrine of resurrection containing in itself the mystery of the three levels of the life of God is the seed of the kingdom of heaven reviving a person from the state of death in which his spirit was located. The acceptance in our heart of the seed of the word of the kingdom of heaven revives our spirits out of a state of eternal death and it makes him a partaker of the life of God, revealing for a person the opportunity to make a covenant with God in water baptism. Mark 16, 16. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. I will remind you that the covenant of blood and water baptism is called to sanctify us and give God the opportunity to write our new name in the book of life, so that this name could serve before God as a seal of righteousness, the seal of righteousness bearing the name holy unto the Lord, which we gain when making a covenant of blood with water baptism, is a new name given by God to a new person, which on one end testified a person's partaking to the heritage of God, on the other end, in this new name, a person is given a new and ancient fate from God in the subject of his calling, invocation, expressed in the inheritance of Christ and God. We know that in Scripture there exist two kinds of resurrection. This is the resurrection of justification and the resurrection of condemnation. John 5, 28-29 Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. In Scripture, the term resurrection relating to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead contains meanings such as the life of God, the water of life, the spirit of life, the word of life, and the seed of the kingdom of heaven, atonement, revival, imperishability, renewal, the light of the life of God, the order of the life of God, the hope of our heritage of God, planting in the house of the Lord. We know that the doctrine of resurrection in the past, in the present, creates a lot of Create, creates a lot of arguments. For concerning the sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere, Acts 28-22. And the reason for this dispute was that the Pharisees recognized and believed that there would be a resurrection both of the righteous and unrighteous, but they opposed the fact that Christ's disciples preached the doctrine of the resurrection in Jesus whom they crucified. The doctrine of resurrection is an exposition of a powerful and changing consistent system containing a number of principles and laws subordinate to divine theocracy. This is a soaring eagle on the banner of the Western Army of the Israeli people, consisting of three tribes led by Ephraim, the son of Joseph. We know that the eagle is a symbol and image of the renewal of life triumphing over death. 
The fact is that in the nature of this world where there is a phase of death that is defeated by resurrection, we have already spoken about this, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles, Psalms 103.5. Therefore, renewal is a necessary and fateful factor, factor, the process of which is concluded in three degrees of birth designed to act in the span of one human life. But those who wait in the Lord shall renew their strength, they shall mount up with wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint, Isaiah 40:31. Or, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God, they shall bear fruit in old age, they shall fresh be fresh and flourishing, Psalms 92, verses 13-14. In order to be reborn and live the life of God, or to be planted in the courts of our Lord from the seed of the imperishable word that dwells forever, we need the life of Jesus hidden in his resurrection. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to living hope for the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, 1 Peter 1.3. In this case, the death of Jesus is a necessary condition for being clothed in the resurrection of Christ. Philippians 3, 10 through 11, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So, when a person conforms to his death along with Christ, he dies to certain things. Only then is the opportunity to enter into the door of the kingdom of heaven is opened. And therefore, just like the divine trinity of baptisms, it is called to emphasize for us the death of Christ. In the same way, the three degrees of birth contained in birth from God are called to emphasize the life of Christ for us. In the doctrine of resurrection, which contains functions of three births, we are met with the order of the adoption of our bodies, when the dead will rise, and those who are living will transform in the blink of an eye, and will highlight full victory over death and hell. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. 1 Corinthians 15.23 the word order in this case means not just a sequence, but a group of closely related beings being a part of one army. Apostle Paul considers an individual believer as a warrior, freed from the ordinary life of everyday life, subordinate to strict army discipline or the military order of Tagma. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. 2 Timothy 2, 4 In the book of Songs of Solomon, the church is presented as a formidable army consisting of disciplined regiments with banners. Who is she who looks forth as the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun, awesome as an army with banners? Songs of Solomon 6, 10 in a certain format and the doctrine of resurrection, we have already studied the level of birth from water. Therefore, let us turn to the truth that is contained in the powers that are found in birth from the Spirit. Birth from the Spirit is the eighth foundation of the twelve foundations in New Jerusalem. The eighth foundation was made out of the precious barrel stone. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones, the eighth barrel. The precious barrel stone, 
contains all kinds of emerald. Beryl means ancient wise men called it the stone of the four winds or the stone holding in submission the four winds of the earth. Its color scheme is found in all 12 base, bases and on all 12 precious stones located on the breastplate of judgment of the high priest. From which we can conclude that when God builds a relationship with a person through the powers contained in the birth of the Spirit, He speaks to the person through a remnant with the voice of the wind in the face of the Holy Spirit, which in this foundation represents the powers of the four winds in the name of the Apostle Matthew, the tax collector. As we will see later, it is precisely in the degree of birth from the Spirit that a person gets the opportunity to bind himself to the Holy Spirit, and thus God at this moment begins the opportunity to affirm himself, establish himself by his Father as written in Romans 8, 14 through 16, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. With all this, it should be remembered that a person who has received baptism in the Holy Spirit in a state of infancy remains carnal and does not become spiritual at that hour because he is still unable to be led by the Holy Spirit. For this purpose, he needs to be born from the Spirit. The function of being born of the Spirit should not be confused with the functions contained in the baptism in the Holy Spirit, because with the baptism in the Holy Spirit, we are immersed in the death of Christ. At the same time, when we are born of the Spirit, we are clothed with the power of His resurrection. However, let's turn to the meaning of the name of the Apostle Paul, Apostle, excuse me, the Apostle written on the eighth foundation of the wall of heavenly Jerusalem, which will help us see these differences. And the names of the twelve apostles are these, first Simon, who is called Peter, then Andrew, his brother, then James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and finally, eighth, Matthew, the tax collector. Pay attention, Matthew, the tax collector. It's significant that the profession of Apostle Matthew has been raised here to the rank and dignity of his middle name. The word tax collector means duty, tribute, or tax, referring to the government, which points to the fact that when the Lord called Matthew to follow him, he was a government official serving as a tax collector in the tax department. Taxes belong to the government, and anyone who encroaches on this belonging, if it is revealed, will not remain without severe punishment. There is no greater crime in America than to withhold your taxes. This is a belonging that belongs to the government. 
and this is an analog of the law, which is also present in a state called the kingdom of heaven, whose branches on earth are local congregations of believers in Christ Jesus. The difference between the world and the church that lives in this world but does not belong to it is that the saints belonging to God, first of all, are considered holy themselves, and only then their offerings clothed in the format of tithes. Exalting the function of a tax collector in the second year of the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit wanted to show that in the eighth foundation of the wall of heavenly Jerusalem, this function consists in separating the elect from among the galled ones who belong to God and are holy unto God. The very name Matthew means a gift of God or a messenger of God. However, Matthew the tax collector had another name by which he is called by the evangelist John. This name is Levi Alphaeus. Alphaeus is the father of Matthew, Levi. The name Levi means attached. The name of his father, Alphaeus, means famous. This name comes from the Greek form of Cleopas. However, Alphaeus, the father of the apostle Matthew, the tax collector, among the disciples, most often was called Cleopa. His father was also a disciple of Jesus Christ. By the way, Cleopas is one of the two disciples, if you remember, whom Jesus met on the first day of his resurrection when they walked from Jerusalem to the nearby village of Emmaus and enthusiastically talked among themselves about all the events that took place in Jerusalem. Jesus came to them and asked them what they were talking about walking along the road, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not recognize him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas the father of Matthew, the tax collector, or Matthew Alphaeus. And he answered him and said, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have you not known the things which have happened there in these days? He said to them, What things? And they said to him, Things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed in word, before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find us funny, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things considered himself. Evening came and Jesus made um, he made it known that he wanted to move further, but they they convinced him to dine and to slumber with them. And when they went to break bread, Jesus stood, broken, and they had found out it was him. But then he became invisible to them. Then among one another began to say, was our heart not burning when he was explaining scripture to us? By the way, Cleopa was the husband of Mary's sister, the mother of Jesus. 
This is written, so Alphaeus, Cleopo was an uncle for Jesus, and Matthew, the tax collector, or Levi Alphaeus, his son, was Jesus' cousin. Thus, based on the meaning contained in the four names of the Apostle Matthew, the tax collector, called Levi Alphaeus, engraved on the eighth foundation of the wall of heavenly Jerusalem, means the famous messenger of the Father called to collect what is holy unto the Lord in the face of the chosen in order to bind them to the best or choicest vine. Binding his donkey to the vine, his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine, and his clothes in blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, and his teeth wider than milk. Genesis 49, 11-12. Well now, in order to penetrate the authority contained in the name of Matthew the tax collector, we first of all need to investigate in what cases this name and its functions expressed in the binding of the holy things of the Lord to the vine of the choicest grapes is found in Scripture. With all this, let us remember that the functions contained in the name of Matthew the tax collector can only occur with the cooperation of man with God in the powers contained in birth from the Spirit, where each party is assigned their own role, which cannot be cancelled and cannot be performed by anyone else. Therefore, in order to work with God in building in our heart the eighth foundation of the wall of heavenly Jerusalem, we need not only to investigate the functions contained in the powers of the name of Matthew the tax collector written on this foundation, but also the roles that God implies in this name both for himself and for us first. The powers contained in the name Matthew the tax collector as the gatherer of what is holy and binding it to Christ is the gathering of waters that are under heaven in one place. Genesis 1.9-10 Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so, and God, call, God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. The need to gather waters together in one place was so that dry land can appear, which God called earth. One place is a special depression in the earth, containing seas and oceans, branching of rivers on the surface of the earth, as well as hidden from the eyes of the arteries passing the depths of the earth, feeding the invisible terrestrial reservoirs of water. In relation to water, the earth is a secondary material from which subsequently both the earth and a person who were originally called to represent the image and likeness of God will be created. By the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and did the water. 2 Peter 3, 5. However, the life created on earth in all its diversity, led by man, will be constantly connected only with that water and will depend only on that water that is fresh. In all of this, the gathering of water is salt water. The territory of the earth where there is no fresh water will have no life in it. Therefore, the life of the earth is hidden in the life of fresh waters, which for the most part will flow or collect in the seas. In relation to the area of water, the area of the earth or land occupies only 29.2%. Out of 78% of the water on the planet Earth, only 3% is fresh water. The 
The largest amount of fresh water on Earth is not rivers and lakes, it is groundwater, which is located at a depth of one kilometer, but the bulk of fresh water on Earth is found in ice sheets and glaciers, mainly in polar regions. The ultimate goal of such a creative act is to illustrate a person who has the image and likeness of God with whom God could share his fellowship. Subsequently, transferring the image of heaven and earth to man, God will often refer to man as to heaven and as to the earth. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2. The soil of the human heart will become a place for sowing and cultivating the seed of the kingdom of heaven, provided that it will be illuminated by the light of the sun and the moon and poured with water on the word of God that proceeds from the mouth of God through hearing the preached word, and God will grow the seed. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase, so that neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. First Corinthians 3, 6-7 Salt, as far as we know, is a metaphor for the Holy Spirit and a metaphor for the holiness of God in the person about which it is said, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Matthew 5.13 Proceeding from such a semantic statement, the collection of salty waters in one place is the collection of saints or the separation of the holy things of the world and tying them to the best vine of grapes in the subject of these oceans, while fresh waters in the form of rivers heading to the seas are the image of the reigning teaching of Christ who came in the flesh or the ancient path of goodness leading to the rest of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And therefore, until the water in the face of the chosen remnant gathers under heaven in one place, which is Christ, dry land cannot be found on it, which God called his earth. So Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of this city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. Exodus 9.29 because God, out of the earth, will create man, and man must live on earth, and he must drink not salt water, but he must drink fresh water, the pure, pure rivers. But he himself has to be salty. His nature is salt, holiness, and he must be directed into the ocean of holiness. 1 Corinthians 10.26, the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. 25.23 also says, the land shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. So people today, uh, they kill one another for the earth, but it doesn't belong to them. God gives it to who he wants. If he gives it, to a certain person, but thus God wants. Let this be either by war or through a democratic way. It doesn't matter. You must understand these things and be very careful in your judgment to stand on someone's side. Through unlawful ways, they had conquered this land. Yes, many things were done unlawfully. Land was conferred, then someone took the land and just gave it to somebody else. So there was a man, Gorbachev, he had given America 
certain belongings. They were gifts of submarines. The thing is, is God stands behind the earth, and if God has allowed this, this is God's right. And when we argue this, when we begin to argue it using politics, then we violate God's rights, because God has given this land through his ways. Therefore, the land belongs to the Lord. Second, the powers contained in the name Matthew, the tax collector, the gatherer of what is holy and binding it to Christ, is a thorough cleaning of the threshing floor and the gathering of wheat into God's barn. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Considering that the grain of wheat is the image of Christ, then the wheat are his twins and belongings that abide in the preached word. A winnowing fan thoroughly cleaning out the threshing floor is a preached word of the messengers of God about sanctification. You are already clean because of the words which I have spoken to you. John 15.3 A winnowing fan is the word about sanctification. Before binding a holy person to the vine of the choicest drink or to Christ, which is a territory of the kingdom of heaven, he, as one who is hallowed unto God, must first be separated from everything and from all those who are not his belongings. Because communication with those who are not holy unto the Lord is defined by scriptures as bowing under someone else's yoke with the unbelievers and as an attempt of righteousness to communicate with lawlessness. And you see this today, the emissaries of Satan say, we must love everyone. We've already talked about this. God, first at the very beginning, he had hated Esau and he had loved Jacob. And the reason was because he foreknew who was going to spit in his face and who would bow down before him. He would spit at his face, him he had despised. And therefore, he says, you must also do the same. First Corinthians, or Second Corinthians, six fourteen to seventeen, of the unequally yoked together with unbelievers. No what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Take a look. This is this winnowing fan. We're uncovering this winnowing fan and what it's doing. Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. This is not in the Old Testament, this is the New Testament. Although the Old Testament had also said this, and it is strong in relation to this. An attempt to sanctify the unbelievers with fellowship who expose the truth, legalize sin, and do not consider the sin, is considered by Scripture as self-deception and as ignorance of who God is originally by nature. Do not be deceived, evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. 1 Corinthians 15, 33-34 God, by his original nature, is holy. That is why he calls those who come to him to be sanctified or to be separate from those who call themselves a brother but remain in sin. 
and you shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. Leviticus 20.26 The chosen who make up the remnants and hallow of the Lord are a category of people who are worked with the truth of sanctification for one purpose, to bind themselves to the vine of the choicest grapes. Hebrews 12:14-16. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. Third, the palace contained in the name Matthew the tax collector as the gatherer of what is holy and binding it to Christ is the time for casting away stones and the time for gathering them. Ecclesiastes 3, 1-5 To every year is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather them. Have you ever met a person who in the spring would scatter stones in his field and then in the fall would collect these very stones that he scattered in the spring? This suggests that both scattering stones in time and collecting the stones is a kind of pre-planned action behind which a kind of good and reasonable will is hidden. Obviously, this is a parable. Everything that God does with the instrument of time and in time pursues one single goal, to revive to a new life and to form a certain group of people in the image of his Son, so that he can abide in them and they can abide in him. And therefore, by the time expressed in the scattering of stones and then in the collection of the same stones that were previously scattered, we mean actions associated with certain people who are holy unto the Heavenly Father. These stones that were scattered these are God's chosen remnants. They are holy unto God. God is doing some kind of actions with them. First he scatters them, and then he gathers them. Hear the word of the Lord of nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, He who scattered Israel will gather him, and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob, and ransomed him from the hand of one stronger than he. Jeremiah chapter 31 verses 10 through 11. In this passage of scripture, we are talking about that category of people who not only will be scattered, but also collected again. To interpret, however, that God scatters fathers, but gathers children who were not scattered is not entirely reasonable, fair, or logical. Because the phrase, the Lord will redeem Jacob and deliver him from the hand of the one who was stronger than him means that God will deliver Jacob from the fear of death by his resurrection. This is how Jesus expressed this thought. And the Lord said, Luke 22, verses 31-32, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Sin also wanted this for God to scatter. Satan was for this. He looked at this with joy and he thought, interesting, he is going to scatter them. How is he then going to gather them? For when he scatters them, he, he threw them into death, or scattered them into death. 
When will Peter be converted after his sowing, when the resurrection of Christ will revive him again from death, which buried his faith in Christ? So do you understand, when Christ had died on the cross, Peter had been uh, broken in Christ. He and all the disciples believed. We thought that he was the one. It turns out he was not, they thought. He had left them, scattered them. And they, quite literally, were, were destroyed. They were sorrowful. Why are you so sorrowful? What do you mean from what? What do we find joy in if we have been mistaken? We thought that he was the savior of the world, that he was the Messiah, the seed of the woman, but he was not. He, yes, this was a prophet, but he was not the one. But Christ has, had risen. And when the resurrection of Christ had, uh, and when Christ had appeared to them, this resurrection had gathered these people. And now, he says, gather others. So God scatters his people uh, in death and he gathers them in his resurrection. John 11, 49-52 And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for his nation and not for the nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. He would die, and they would be scattered, and then when he would rise, he would gather them. Four, the power is contained in the name Matthew the tax collector as the gatherer of what is holy and binding it to Christ is tying a scarlet cord to the window of our heart. I think this story is well known by everyone, but I will read a part of it to you. This is the dialogue between Rahab and the two spies that had come to Jericho to look at, to spy on Jericho, who were sent by Joshua. And so she had hit them, and furthermore, they're talking, unless when we come into the land, or when we return, and destroy it because God had condemned this land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your home, so it shall be whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be freed from your oath, which you made us swear. Then she said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. We have already talked about how Rahab and her household is the church of Jesus Christ, the image of the church. And these two spies, the word of God and the Holy Spirit came with one purpose, to save the church. That's why here we see herself and her household. 
Jericho is a city of palm trees, a city of righteousness. The judgment rendered by God for this city said that this righteousness was not the righteousness of faith, and the basis of this righteousness was not redemption expressed in the grace of God, but human reasoning and all kinds of religious deeds. And as I had said, the two skies were the image of the Word of God coming from the mouth of God in the image of the Holy Spirit who were sent by God with one purpose, to separate what is holy unto the Lord in the face of the inhabitants of Jericho, Rahab and her house, and bind them to salvation, working with the truth and tying oneself to the vine of the choicest grapes. And this event is tying a scarlet cord to the window of our heart, which was called to be a guarantee of salvation. However, the condition on the basis of which the agreement on, on such cooperation was concluded lies in the stalks of flax on the roof in which a resident of Jericho named Rahab hid two spies from the hands of the Jericho king who wanted to capture them. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. And she said, Yes, the men came to me, but they did not know where they were from. And it happened, as the day was being shut, when it was dark, that the men went out. Where the men went, I did not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she laid in order on the roof. The roof of Rahab's house is an image of her heart, while stalks of flax are an image of death and resurrection, the doctrine of death and the doctrine of resurrection which was in her heart, because flax is the result of sowing and reaping, in which the flax must die in the action of sowing in order to bear the fruit of the resurrection. So flax represented resurrection as the result of death. The scarlet cord is a doctrine about redemption in which a person from the category of God's enemies passed into the category of the heritage of God. Therefore, the scarlet cord tied to the window is a seal of righteousness, testifying before God that this person is holy unto God. Such a seal gives God a legal right to deliver the house of such a person from his wrath on the day of his visit. The window which the scarlet cord was tied to is the forehead of a person representing the image of his thinking. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23, 7. Exodus 28, verses 36 to 38. You shall also make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it, like the engravingness of a signet, holiness to the Lord, and you shall put it on a blue cord, that it may be on the turban. It shall be in the front of the turban, so it shall be on Aaron's forehead, and Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things, which the children of Israel hallow and all their holy gifts. In the book of Songs of Solomon, the seal under the name Holy unto the Lord, which yields the subject of impure things, is expressed in grading their goats and the subject of their thinking renewed by the Holy Spirit near the shepherds' tents. Songs of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 7 through 8. Tell me, O you whom I love, where you feed your flock, where you make it rest at noon. For why should I be as one who veils herself with the flocks of your companions? You do not know, O fairest among women, follow in the footsteps of the flock and feed your little goats beside the shepherds' tents. So, shepherd or feed your thinking or graze your thinking through the preached word of the messengers whom I have sent. Fifth, the powers contained in the name Matthew, the tax collector, the gathering of what is holy and binding it to Christ, is cooperation with the Holy Spirit who feeds his flocks in the gardens and gathers lilies. 
My beloved has gone to his garden, to the beds of spices, to feed his flock in the gardens, and to gather lilies. I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. He feeds his flock among lilies. Songs of Solomon, chapter 6, verses 2 through 3. To feed in the gardens and gather lilies is to make sanctification by separating the saint from the unholy and tying them to the vine of the best grapes in the face of the beloved. Lilies represent the image of a person who walks by faith, a virtue of which a person is called the saint or the property of God. Consider the lilies, Luke 12, 27-28, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? People who walk by faith, these are lilies. He, people who call themselves saints but in ministry to God, they are based on how they feel and what they feel, cannot be called a lily and dress in its dignity. For this reason, such people, despite their false belief in which they consider themselves saints, are not considered by the scriptures to be saints and therefore saints, because faith is information emanating from the word of God that abides forever, and not a feeling and not prophecies, dreams and visions, ruling our feelings when we violate the order of God. People violate the order of God and then they turn not to the preached word out of scripture, but they turn to dreams, visions, to feelings, they listen to some kind of voices that, that they hear. For we walk by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Six, the powers contained in the name Matthew the tax collector is the gatherer of what is holy and binding it to Christ is called to bring the chosen nation to triumph on the heights of Zion. Jeremiah chapter 21 verses 10 to 12. Hear the word of the Lord of nations and declare it in the isles of Haral and say, He who scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of one stronger than he. Therefore they shall come and sing in the height of Zion, streaming to the goodness of the Lord for wheat and new wine and oil. For the young of the flock and the herd, their souls shall be like a well-watered garden, and they shall sorrow no more at all. We should know right away that in this prophecy there is present the language of time and language of eternity. When God speaks in this prophecy with the language of eternity, he speaks of Israel like his nation whom he redeemed. When God speaks with the language of time, he speaks of Israel like his nation whom he is going to redeem. For he shall redeem. He shall redeem, not yet redeemed. At first he was talking as if they were already redeemed. And let us remember that speaking of Israel like his own nation, God firstly is referring to the category of people from every tribe, nation, and tongue who have come from the seed of Abraham by faith and not by flesh. 
Romans chapter 9 verses 6 through 8, but it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham, but in Isaac your seed shall be called, that is those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. Israel is a people called to fulfill the plans and interests of God of planet earth, the people through which God gets the opportunity to reveal himself to the world. And in order for his people to fulfill their calling, they must be scattered by sowing and then gathered by harvest. In the state of a seed, no one can represent the perfection of the guiding light. When the seed dies under the action of dispersion, then they will bear the fruits of the resurrection. Therefore, only in a state of harvest will Israel be able to fulfill its destiny and become a guiding light for the nations around it. Speaking about the remnant of Israel, Apostle Paul asks the question, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not, but through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Take a look here. I disperse them in order to save other nations. Now, if their fall is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles and magnify my mystery. In the same epistle, just a little higher, in chapter 9, Apostle Paul quotes the words of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel, through the number of the, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. The remnant is the elect who will sow a carnal body in order to rise up in a spiritual body. First of all, it is not about the death and resurrection of our bodies, but about the sowing of a carnal person whose harvest will be a spiritual person. Until the carnal person is lost, the spiritual person will not be able to get the opportunity to show his merits. Interestingly, the Holy Spirit, the Apostle James, speaks to the twelve tribes in the scattering and tells them to rejoice in their position because only through scattering they can come to perfection in its entirety without any drawbacks. James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greets. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. For let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfectly complete, lacking nothing. The prophet Isaiah says that this perfection can only happen after the meeting of Israel on the heights of Zion, where he can bestow them with his goodness, which indicates the fact that by the end of time, the attitude of the remnant towards Zion or God's chosen remnant, represented by the church, should radically change. The relationship to the church must change. Scripture says that it is there in Zion that their souls will be like a garden filled with water and they will no longer languish. Zion is the best vine to which we can bind ourselves. Christ cannot be a separate vine if it does not have branch and there are not fruit. 
He is the vine. He says, I am a grapevine, but you are the branches. Each branch that it does not bring fruit, it is cut off. Therefore, when we're talking about being bound to the best or the choice to find, we're talking about being bound to Zion, the head of which is Christ. And so, the best find we can bind ourselves in the name tax, Matthew the tax collector, written on the eighth foundation, the wall of heavenly Jerusalem means to look at the invisible promise contained for us in Christ Jesus, and by cleansing our hearts from a vicious conscience to adhere to the confession of home without wavering. Hebrews 10, 21-23, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Our confessions with regard to our binding to the best grapes to the vine are valid when they come from a pure heart. And a shrine that is set apart for God must not only be holy according to the attributes of belonging, but also clean however clean an animal may seem, before offering it as a, as a sacrifice, it must be firstly without blemish and secondly cleansed in water. Our time must come to an end and we are going to bow our heads and we will pray and thank God that in Christ Jesus, He has given to us His word. He has given to us His mercy because He has resurrected Today, there is a majority of Christians who are in a kind of uplifted mood preparing themselves for Passover. Although today, uh, for them, it's a sorrowful, sorrowful day because Christ is in a grave today. And on Sunday, they're going to church early, early in the morning and they're going to participate in His resurrection. But thanks be to God, that resurrection that we have not acknowledged is in a state that is in our hearts. And obvious, and although in this day, we are going to be along with them because previously we were separate from them. But today we are going to be along with them and along with them we are going to talk about the resurrection of Christ. Today we talked about the resurrection of Christ and the birth in the Spirit. And now let us bow our heads and thank God. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for the word of life for the word of resurrection, with which you renew us, growing us and bringing us from faith to faith, from one state to another. May your mercy be blessed for us forever and ever. May your people acknowledge the joy, know the joy, when he binds himself, when they bind themselves to Zion. When your church for us becomes a place of rest, a place where we are going to come and comfort our hearts, a place where you are going to demonstrate great glory and great joy, a place where all sorrows will disappear, a place where everyone will look at one another, not looking at one another with suspicion, but rejoicing in one another because you will fill it with glory. 
You have said that all the peoples will come to you, and that you are going to rejoice and be exalted, and that this will never end. But for this, the church is supposed to penetrate into you the glory of your resurrection, having tested the dispersion and, and death, having tested the tragedy of death, when all of the promises, when all of the promises are buried, and when there is no opportunity to restore them. But you have said, this is impossible for men, but for me, everything is possible. You have said that you are going to restore in the resurrection that you are going to do on earth in the body of a person. Before you call the church from the earth, you are going to bring your church to a state of life. Your life is going to flow and pour out from it. Resurrection will return all of that which Satan had taken away, all of that which we have lost. May your resurrection be blessed, which is the result of your death. We wait for your resurrection. We are found in this state, but we want to grow and to give you the opportunity to demonstrate your resurrection in us, that the church across the face of the earth can feel and accept in themselves this resurrection and that it is no longer sorrowful. It's that she does not strive anymore towards material goods and does not consider herself happy from these material successes. May your blessing be upon your people so that they know that everything is going to soon burn and that you have prepared for us a new resurrection, a new heaven, a new earth, which will never dwindle and will always be before your countenance where you are going to live with your chosen remnants. We thank you, Father of heaven and earth. May your Holy Spirit come as power as the power of your word and may it uplift us and we bow down before you in this hour almighty god father son and holy spirit amen our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the hand of the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.